0: Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Hey, join us at Walters for the first ever Nats Chat podcast party. We'll hang out, watch playoff baseball, chat about the Nats, and get to know fellow fans of the team.
1: The event begins at 7 p.m. at Walters, just across from Nationals Park, on Friday night, October 14th.
2: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. It delivers, swing and a high fly ball to left center field. Call moving back, out of the warning track, slowing up at the wall. He leaps, and he can't get it. It's gone, goodbye. A home run for Austin Riley, just out of the reach of a leaping Alex Call. check delivers. Swing a long drive right field. Back on this one, Thomas looking up at the wall, and it is gone. It just clears. Over the 16-foot fence to the right of the 375 mark. And the Braves have an insurance run and lead it 5-2. Iglesias rocks, kicks, delivers. Manessas swings and lines one through the hole. A base hit into the left field. So he's had two singles to right center and now two singles to
0: left as Rosario plays it back. Joey Manessas with a four-hit game. And welcome to Nats Chat for Tuesday, September 20th. 2022, along with MadisonSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. For years, the Nats ran the National League East. That unfortunately is no longer the case. And if any team now runs the NL East, that team is the Atlanta Braves. I don't like saying that, but that is the truth. The Braves have won the NL East in each of the last four seasons, 2018 through 2021. The Braves are in quite the battle with the New York Mets for this season's NLE's title. And while the Nats are going to play a role in who wins this season's NLE's title, things did not go well for the Nats on Monday night. A 5-2 loss at the Braves in game one of a three-game series. Nats now are a major league worst, 51 and 96. But you know, you have this three-game series for the Nats at the Braves. You then have the Nats from September 26th through the 28th, having a three-game series against the Braves at Nationals Park. And then you have the Nats from October 3rd through October 5th, concluding their 2022 season with a three-game series at the Mets. So Mark, the Nats may no longer run the NL East, but the Nats certainly are having a say in who wins the NL East this season.
1: Yeah. And at the moment, the best position that you want to be in if you're trying to win this division is to be playing the Nats as much as possible, because we know they have been awful against the whole division and particularly against those teams in the mix. So they're now 3-11 Against the Braves this year with five games to play head to head. They're five and 11 against the Mets with only three games left to play. So remember that series a couple of weeks ago in New York when the Nats take two out of three, surprisingly so up there, and we're actually in a position to sweep the series. Well, when it's all said and done, wouldn't that be something if that's the difference in who wins a division or not? If just one or two extra wins over the Mets versus what they get over the Braves, that could be the division. We'll see a couple of weeks to go here, but they have really just Not shown themselves to be on par with certainly the top three teams in the division. And it's not like they played a bad game here in Atlanta in the first game. I mean, they did all right, but it was so clear at the end of the night that they're just not on the same level as the Braves. And to beat a team like that, they have to do some extraordinary things. It can't just be enough to go out and play a halfway decent game. You have to do some really significant things to beat
0: them. Yeah. And it's tough. I mean, you're starting Corey Abbott against Kyle Wright and it's like, okay, in the middle of a pennant race, deep into the month of September, you know, raise your hand if you anticipate winning a game in a situation like that. It is interesting though with this season. I mean, the only truly compelling division race really is this National League East race? Now, there are other maybe pseudo-races, you know, the Cleveland Guardians and the Chicago White Sox for the American League Central. Maybe the Toronto Blue Jays gunning for the New York Yankees who are atop the American League East. But otherwise, the rest of these division races are duds, you know? The Dodgers and the San Diego Padres, n- nowhere near close. Uh St. Louis and the Milwaukee Brewers for the NL Central, not really close. Houston and Seattle, not really close for the American League West. So you got a pretty juicy race going here between the Mets and the Braves. It is kind of cool that the Nats can have a say in who ends up uh, winning this thing. So the Nats in their loss on Sunday afternoon to the Miami Marlins faced the great Sandy Alcantara. I would not put Kyle Wright on the same level as Alcantara, but Wright is having a good season and he had another good game on Monday night. Two runs in six innings, seven strikeouts versus one walk. The Nats did get eight hits off Wright, finished the game with nine hits but only drew one walk, struck out 12 times for the game. It was interesting, though, with the Nats in this game offensively because the three guys who stood out to varying degrees are the three guys who have been the Nats' best hitters for weeks now. Joey Manessis, Ildemar Vargas, and Lane Thomas. Joey Manessis had a four-hit game on Monday night. Now, all four of the hits were singles and all of the singles came in innings in which the Nats did not score. So it was kind of a meaningless four-hit game, but it was an impressive four-hit game. And we continue to see him look really good in these plate appearances. I mean, just to go real quick through these hits, top of the second leadoff single on an 0-2 pitch, and he had a stolen base. Top of the fourth two-round opposite field single, to right center on a one two pitch. Top of the sixth, leadoff single through the left side of the infield. Top of the eighth, one out single to left field on a one two pitch. Going the opposite way, getting hits and plate appearances in which he's down and counts, has two strikes on him. I know we've said this, but he continues to do this. Joey Manessis can hit.
1: And he lived up to his nickname in this one Joey Four Bags. He totaled four bags in the game. Unfortunately, they all came one at a time instead of four at once. But we just continue to see this guy is a professional hitter. Two strikes, not a problem. Go the other way, whatever he needs to do. Breaking ball, down and way, he can handle it. He's got a plan up there. And the more you see it, you say, okay, this is legitimate to some extent. Is he, you know, this good of a hitter in the long run? Maybe not, but he certainly looks like a big league hitter. I think it's hard to suggest that that's not true because – the farther you get through this, the less it looks like a fluke because of the way that he's doing it. Pitchers have had time now to develop a game plan and adjust and do some different things against him. And he is showing that he can adjust to that. That part of it's been so impressive. And I think the frustrating thing about this is he gets the four hits. Like you said, they don't score in any of those innings. And the problem is the guy hitting behind him in this game, Luke Voigt, had an awful night. Over for 4, four strikeouts, golden sombrero. They did not bunch their hits up well. <laughs> Tonight. They spread them out. They had the wrong guy up at the wrong time way too often. You know, Voigt's been pretty good lately. We've talked about him, but this was a really rough night for him. And if he just comes through in one of those spots, could be a different game.
0: Yeah, Voigt, 0 for 4-4 strikeouts, like you said, left four men. On base. It's a funny thing to me with Joey Manessis. So, his slash line now for the Nats at the major league level batting average 325, on base percentage 356, slugging percentage 548. He has been outstanding. He's got this 356 on base despite having drawn a mere eight walks. It's really hard to have a high on base percentage when you don't draw walks. That's one thing he doesn't do. He doesn't draw walks. Even with him hitting well, he's still not drawing walks, and yet he's got this on base. That's at 356. The other thing is this, and it's always notable, right, like how your background as an athlete can govern the narrative with you as an athlete. Could you imagine if C.J. Abrams was doing what Joey Manessis is doing? We'd be going crazy, right? We'd be going, oh, my God, this guy is exceptional. This guy's a franchise player. Why? Because C.J. Abrams comes from a background of having been a top 10 pick and a premier prospect, etc. Joey Manessis is the exact opposite, right? Ten years, a minor leaguer, age 30 season, etc. And so because he's doing what he's doing with that background— We're always kind of like, yeah, this is cool, but what does it mean? (laughs) It's like if the background was a little different, we would be raving about this guy. And I understand why we're not raving about him the way we would be raving were C.J. Abrams to be doing this. But it just is kind of funny how where you've been can in so many ways impact how you are discussed. And so because Manessis has the background that he has, we talk about him in the way that we do.
1: Yeah. The shame of it is that The natural inclination when a 30-year-old rookie does what he is doing is to question it and say, well, he can't probably keep that up, can he? Because if he was this good, he would have been in the big leagues by now, right? Well, it doesn't always work out that way. There are late bloomers. It happens sometimes. I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago there were aspects of him that remind me a little bit of Michael Morse. Morse wasn't quite this old. He had some big league experience before he got to the Nats, but he was something of a late bloomer and wound up having a very solid career for the Nats and some other teams. and you know Maybe Manessas can morph into something along those lines. That would be fantastic if he could. The flip side of that is when C.J. Abrams, because of the background and because of the reputation, even when he gets off to a really rough start like he did, the inclination to say, well, give it time. We're not going to judge him based on only a handful of games. And so you let him have, you know, months before you really start to get critical of him. And as we've seen, he is showing a lot more here lately to say, okay, we think he is actually legitimate. But far too often in all of sports, I think you could say, a guy's reputation and his background clouds your opinion of him before you've really had a chance to form an opinion of him. And maybe that's not always fair. Maybe we should be treating Manessis with – more legitimacy. I mean, I think we have acknowledged that he looks like the real deal, but there's still something in the back of your mind that says, is this really who's going to be, or is this fool's gold for two months? And come next year, we're going to say, boy, remember when that guy was good? Whatever happened there?
0: Yeah. I mean, nobody wants to be a sucker, you know? So you don't want to go gaga for Joey Manessis in 2022 and then feel like a dummy in 2023. And so you try to couch the things that you say with, well, yeah, but who knows? But no doubt, if the background was different, the conversation would be different. He has been remarkable, and uh, I give the guy a lot of credit for doing as he is doing. Ildemoro Vargas has been really good for the Nats, too. Now, I think that this guy's, you know, I don't think anyone's going crazy with what this means for him moving forward. But, you know, you give a guy credit when he produces, and Ildemoro Vargas has produced. He on Monday night as an ad starting third baseman, a number six batter, two for four with a double and a single. Two-run fifth, he had a leadoff double down the left field line. Looked like he got shaken up in his slide into second base, maybe hurt like a shoulder or a neck, but he ended up staying in the game. And then Vargas in the top of the six, a one-out opposite field single to left center field. It is... An odd thing, right? The manessis Vargas combination that the Nats have had. You know, like it would be one thing to have one guy doing this, coming out of nowhere and producing, that the Nats have had two guys doing this and two guys who are very different in terms of their profiles, right? Manessis is like all bat, you know, minimal glove. Vargas, in theory anyway, is like all glove, no bad. And yet Vargas has hit to the tune that he has hit at. So Ildebarra Vargas now for the Nats at the major league level, batting average of 304, on base percentage of 340, slugging percentage of 444. He has been good, and he was good again on Monday night.
1: Yeah, and the crazy thing is neither one of these guys gets called up to the big leagues, if not for trades that were made. In Manessas' case, it was the Soto Bell trade. In Vargas' case, remember, it was the A. Ray Adrianza trade to the Braves. We didn't see him in this game. He's sitting on the bench. They needed a utility infielder. This guy had been at AAA, wasn't hitting a ton, for them there but they knew he was good defensively knew he could play all the different positions had some big league experience so i said all right we'll bring him up see what we can do and next thing you know he's turned into this godsend for them so much so that we're talking about him as maybe part of the plan for next year if not as an everyday player at least coming off the bench but sometimes it's just about opportunity you know and again perception you label a guy oh this is a triple a guy or this guy isn't a hitter he's just a defensive specialist Sometimes you just have to give them the opportunity to play on a regular basis at the big league level, and frankly, sometimes in a situation like this, where there's not a lot of pressure, at least not on the team, where they can afford to give you that kind of opportunity, and you make the most of it. You know, Manessis is obviously doing a great job and showing he can handle the middle of the lineup, and Vargas plays with so much energy – and enthusiasm. He loves being out there. Everything that he's getting a chance to do here, you can see the joy in his face. And I think it rubs off on other guys. And I think it's part of the reason why this last month plus for them has been enjoyable. Even when they haven't won every night, they're playing an enjoyable brand of baseball. They're having fun in part because you have these guys who are motivated to play for something, even when the team doesn't have something to play
0: for. And then with Lane Thomas on Monday night, uh, he again was the Nats' leadoff batter. He was the Nats' starting right fielder, one for three with a single and a walk. Top of the first leadoff, opposite field single through the right side of the infield. And then Thomas in that Nats' two-run fifth drew a two-out, five-pitch walk. Alex Call in this game had an RBI double, uh, two-run fifth. He had a two-out RBI double to left field to cut the Nats' deficit to 4-2. It's always interesting some of what the Nationals official Twitter feed will put out there. The Nats official Twitter feed on Monday, so this is prior to the game on Monday night. This is entering Monday. Sent out a tweet with the following: Offensive ranks in all of MLB since August 30th for the Nats. Number 1 in team batting average, number 2 in team OPS, number 3 in slugging percentage, number 3 in weighted on-base average, number 5 an on-base percentage. It's quirky, and it's something that I feel like has probably snuck up on people, but it is true. For a second consecutive year, the Nats, post the trade deadline, have hit better than the team was hitting prior to the trade deadline. Now, this happened in, I think, grander fashion last year, in a more sustained fashion last year. It took a while for this to happen this year, But in this month of September, for the Nats this deep into the month to have those offensive rankings entering Monday that the team chronicled in this tweet on Monday, I think that's pretty impressive. And I'm guessing most Nats fans, certainly casual Nats fans, wouldn't be aware of that, that the Nats rank that favorably in all of those key offensive categories since August 30th.
1: Yeah, and I think the remarkable part of it this year is that this has happened After trading away the two guys who we thought of as the only two really legitimate hitters in their lineup, Soto and Bell. So, I mean, you look at the names that they're putting out there on a nightly basis. If you don't follow this team, there's nobody in there that you are all that impressed with or thinking, oh, well, that's a dangerous hitter. And instead, collectively, they have actually produced. And maybe some of the pressure has come off that's helped. Obviously, what Manessis and Vargas have done, Abrams starting to step up. Thomas. Doing what he did late last season, that kind of coincides also last year with when the team started hitting. Elaine Thomas was a big part of it. I still feel like, though, I know it's been better, but I still feel like this lineup is not really maximizing what it could be, and that's because of the lack of power. And we saw it the other day with the four solo homers, like, hey, this is great. They can actually win a game with some power. And then you saw the opposite here in this one. They have nine hits in the game. Braves had 10 hits. The Nats go two for eight with runners in scoring position. The Braves also go two for eight with runners in scoring position. So how'd they lose the game five to two? They didn't hit the ball out of the park. They had a couple of doubles. The Braves hit two solo homers. They also had a stolen base and an error that'll put a runner in scoring position at third base to score on a sacrifice fly. So I'm not trying to compare the names of those two lines. The Braves clearly have a better lineup. But the disparity in this game when you look at some of the numbers, was not all that different. The difference was the Braves hit for power. The Nats do not. The Braves took advantage of a few other scoring opportunities. The Nats did not. So yeah, it's nice to have some better numbers. I still want to see more of that translate into runs and especially runs in bunches because we don't necessarily see a lot of that.
0: And I think also – the improved offensive numbers are nice, but we know that this lineup is probably going to be different next year. So it's just kind of a nice thing to be seeing, but does it really mean anything in terms of like, okay, you know, it's these guys who are going to lead the way offensively moving forward? Not necessarily. Some are, yes, but not all of them are. I think that's pretty clear. (laughs) Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Pennant races in baseball are on and Window Nation is coming through in the clutch. Think of Window Nation as the 2019 Nats. You right now can get new windows from Window Nation at half price. Two free windows with every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90-NATION and make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent ya. Lower your energy bills and raise the value of your home with new energy efficient windows from Window Nation. Over 1,500 custom vinyl window options are available. And if you're wondering, well, do I need new windows? Well, if your current windows are sticky or drafty or cracked or hard to open or lock when the windows close, then you need new windows. Get yourself Window Nation windows and take advantage of this great offer. Two free windows for every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90-NATION. That's windownation.com or 866-90-NATION. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Now a word from our sponsor, Better Health. The way I take care of my mind is daily exercise. It is essential for me. There are plenty of ways to support a healthy brain, like learning a new language or taking power naps. There's also BetterHelp Online Therapy. Everyone I know who does therapy swears by it. It feels like all I hear these days is how you have to start doing therapy. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat-only therapy sessions, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to it's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you don't have to fight traffic or look for parking our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com/natschat that's better h e l p.com/natschat
2: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed swing and a pop-up into center field here comes Harris in shallow center Michael Harris the second makes the catch and this one
0: belongs to the Braves so with the Braves Corey Abbott was an ad starting pitcher on Monday night he did not have a good outing four runs in four innings he gave up six hits a homer, a double and four singles issued two walks recorded no strikeouts. But, you know, it's funny you bring up the home run thing. So the homer that Abbott gave up on Monday night came to Braves one run first. It was a two out solo homer by Austin Riley to left field over a leaping and outstretched glove of left fielder Alex Call. I tell you, Alex gives it at all on these balls that are hit to him. You know, doesn't always make the catch, but of course, you're not always going to make the catch, but he definitely gets an A for effort. But, you know, this struck me, and I guess it shouldn't have, but it did, probably because, you know, we talk about the ants. So that was Austin Riley's 37th home run of the season. And just like the notion of a player having 37 home runs this season, I know like plenty of guys do it year in, year out. But for the Nats this year, like just to understand this, the Nats' leading home run hitter this season in terms of all players who have played for the Nats this year is Juan Soto who hit 21 home runs and of course hasn't been here for a month and a half now. In terms of current Nats, The guy with the most homers this season is Lane Thomas with 16. So, like, that's kind of the environment that we've been in. And so when you're in this Nats bubble, it kind of becomes normal to you, even though you know intellectually that's not normal, that's not good. And so to see 3-7 for Austin Riley, you're like, wow, that's a lot of home runs. But, of course, that's what good teams have, guys who hit 37 home runs and then some in a season.
1: Yeah, and think about, you know, if I asked you, okay, name the stars on the Braves in their lineup, how far down is Austin Riley going to be? Now, I'm not saying that he should be far down and he should be an MVP candidate, but you think of Acuna, you think of Dansby Swanson, think of Ozzie Albies before he got hurt. You know, even Travis who has got a track record. Matt Olson, who they went out and got to replace Freddie Freeman. Austin Riley's their number three hitter and leads the team, almost leads the National League in home runs. and has really turned into one of the best in the game. Got a big contract as a result of it. As we know, the Braves love to do that, and they find players who are willing to do it. But what's just so impressive about what they've put together there is the depth of talent and of young talent that's going to be here for a long time. Austin Riley, not the name that you think of as like the original young core they were building around, and he's now just as important to them as anybody else.
0: And when you look at what the Braves have done this season, so the Braves lead the National League in home runs by miles. The Braves now have hit 222 home runs this season. The Nats, for comparison's sake, have hit 126 home runs on the year. I mean, we've made the point. The Nats don't hit nearly enough home runs. But you look at the other offensive stats for each team, right? So the Braves this season have a team batting average of 254. The Nats this season have a team batting average of 251. Not much of a difference. The Braves this season have a team on base percentage of 318. The Nats this season have a team on base percentage of 314. Not that much of a difference, but of course there is a massive difference between these two teams in terms of record, in terms of run differential, and that has not everything to do with the home runs, but that's a big part of it. What each team has done from a home run standpoint, and you just see that. I mean, the Braves have nearly a hundred more homers than the Nats have on the year, and I don't know that that's something that you can just address, right? Like that's kind of something that just has to come. And you know, obviously, if you can get guys who hit homers, you obviously want to get those guys. But, you know, you also can't just be that one track minded if you're Mike Rizzo, right? Like you need guys who are good hitters and then you kind of hope that the home runs come. You can get into a lot of trouble if you just sign guys solely for the purpose of hitting homers. But there's no doubt, like if you're a doctor and you're trying to come up with a prescription for the Nats moving forward, that might be the number one thing. Just if you hit more homers, things are going to look and be a lot better because it is instructive. Team batting average, more or less the same as the Braves. Team on base percentage, more or less the same as the Braves. The big difference is the home run.
1: Yeah. So I, let's look at, you know, who may be around here next year. And is there anybody that could, in theory, improve on their own without them having to go out and get anything else? I think if you have Lute Voigt for a whole year and he has a better season, you could be looking at a 30 homer guy, potentially for him, but he hit 20, 22 or something in the shortened season uh, pandemic year to lead the league. So that's somebody that you hope would have some more. You would hope a full season Joey Manessis could maybe do something. You hope that Luis Garcia's power is going to come around. You hope that Caber Ruiz's power is going to come around next year. C.J. Abrams, we haven't seen him hit for power yet. That might be further down the road in his career. Maybe not something you can count on happening yet. Lane Thomas, can he do it over a whole season? If he does what he's done here lately over a whole season, that can be 20-plus homers. But there is still a gap there. And I think we've talked about how if there is a question mark heading into next year, it's probably in the outfield. feels like they need at least one more outfielder, probably a corner outfielder, and I do think they need to prioritize power at that spot. I think it's been very important that they focused on defense on the infield and up the middle and all that stuff. I think you could afford to sacrifice some defense for a power-hitting corner outfielder perhaps next year. If only they had a power-hitting corner outfielder who was under club control for several years, then they wouldn't be in this predicament, but unfortunately they didn't have one of those, right?
0: No, although that guy uh isn't hitting for much power these days <laughs> That's true. with the San Diego Padres. <laughs> you know, we have not talked about this much. Juan Soto has become a national talking piece again, and not for a good reason. The Padres have not done well. Soto is not doing well. Juan Soto is slugging 366 since joining the San Diego Padres. His on base with the Padres is 386, but his slugging percentage is a mere 366. His batting average is just 221. I mean, you know, going back to our Joey Manessis conversation, the other hysterical thing about all of this is the extent to which Manessis' numbers blow away Soto's since August 2nd, since MLB trade deadline day. And don't even get me started on Josh Bell. I mean, that's been a complete (laughs) debacle for the Padres. It is ridiculous. You can't highlight this enough. Manessis and Vargas greater than sign, Soto and Bell, and who in their right mind would have ever thought that that would be the case?
1: You would have had to even know the names Manessas and Vargas prior to that point, and no, nobody did. It is crazy. that They did have a much better game on Sunday, I think, to help them get a win, maybe start to feel a little better about themselves. We'll see as this goes forward, but boy, they're feeling the pressure there, aren't they? I mean, to try to get that team over the hump, and the Padres have not clinched anything Yeah, they are still very much in the thick of the wild card race between them, uh, the Phillies, and maybe the Brewers. There's only two spots there for them. Somebody's not going to make it. And honestly, none of them are playing that great at the moment. If somebody gets hot here down the stretch, that could be the difference.
0: Yeah, I mean, the Padres, them getting Soto was not just about this year. It's about, you know, the next few years. But the Bell thing has been a flop. Unless somehow the Padres make the postseason and Bell has some big hits in the postseason. If it's true that the Padres gave up Harlene Susana for Bell, that that was the part of the trade about Josh Bell... Boy, the Nats have won that no matter what happens with Susana because Bell has been really bad for San Diego. It's been something to see. And, you know, I don't think like we celebrate that because we like these guys. But, man, the trade, at least for this season, is not going so well.
1: Let's also remember if they get to October, which I said they still have to do, they're looking at a best of three wild card series completely on the road either in St. Louis or against the loser of the NL East, New York or Atlanta. That's a tough spot to go into and think that they're going to come out of that winning two out of three. So their postseason run could be awfully short. You get Soto for two more years, but the whole idea of trading him now was you get him for three postseasons. Well, you better hope that you get more than three games or even two games of a postseason with those guys on your roster. That could be seen ultimately as a disaster for the Padres.
0: No doubt. And, you know, there's also this, and we talked about this a lot in the lead up to Soto being traded, but there is a school of thought, right? That in a sport like baseball, one guy really can only do so much. And whenever Juan Soto ends up signing his mega money contract with whoever, you know, he's going to be making whatever it'll be $40 million a year, $50 million a year, whatever. If you don't produce at like an MVP level, You're not living up to that contract. And the thing is, it's hard to produce at an MVP level throughout a season, season in and season out. Like there are lulls, there are slumps. Now, you know, from Soto's perspective, you could say, well, there's a marketing aspect to paying him all of that money. So maybe it's not just all about what he does on the field. But like if you say, is Juan Soto a great player? Yes, he is. But is Juan Soto great every series, every month. No, there are ups and downs. There are peaks and valleys. We saw some of those here. And so, you know, if you're going to pay someone that kind of money, you really do need to have consistent excellence. And he has not provided that this season. He has had surges of excellence, but he has not been excellent throughout the year. And, you know, that is something that does make you think about when you pay someone the kind of money that he's going to be commanding is anyone worthy of that in terms of consistently giving you the value of that contract? It's a very difficult thing to do.
1: Right. And it's if you're not going to provide MVP caliber performances every year, then you better be a part of a team that's winning something big to help justify it as well. And I think of Bryce Harper in Philadelphia. He won the MVP last year. The Phillies didn't win anything. He's been hurt for a lot of this year. He's back now. They're hoping to make the playoffs. They have the longest postseason drought in the National League since 2011. Let's say they get in. Can they go anywhere or are they one and done as well? And at some point, as Harper moves further along in that deal with the Phillies, was that one worth it for them? And did signing him to that kind of contract, and I know the annual value of that one was not as huge, but they committed 13 years to him. If that has prevented them from addressing other needs that they would have to try to actually win come October, was that worthwhile for them? So usually if your team making that kind of deal, you're both trying to get this great iconic player, but you're also trying to win big with that player. And it doesn't always happen. I've been meaning to look this one up. It's a story I want to write at some point. Take the top, I don't know, 15 free agent contracts in big league history. How many of those guys have won a World Series while under that contract? It's only a couple of them. Hardly any of them have actually gone on to win big with their teams after signing a contract like that.
0: Yeah, and I think it speaks to the nature of the sport. It's not the NBA. It's not the NFL quarterback. Like one player, as great as he is, can only impact a game so much. Like it really is about the sum of the parts. It's not about what one or two stars you have. You know, like in the NBA for years, it's been about who's your big two, who are your big three. You don't have that in baseball. It doesn't work. If it worked that way, the Angels would win the World Series every year. They don't. You know, they have a big two or big three. It doesn't matter. It really is about things beyond just having a great player. And so while I still personally have questions about the Nats trading Soto this year and why exactly it happened, I think there is an overriding philosophy that you very much can subscribe to of, Nobody is worth 30, 40, 50 million dollars per year. And when you study the history of those contracts that you just referenced, so few of them actually work out. And, you know, you can kind of get a sense as to why. So, yeah, as the Nats have the worst record in the majors, you can at least maybe take some joy in uh, the guy who they traded away in a big time move a few months ago now. Uh, is struggling. Not that we're happy about that, but you know, you could see that maybe there is a bigger picture here that will play out in the Nats' favor. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us on Instagram too at NatsChatPodcast. You can get yourself or someone who you know a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to NatsChatPodcast.com dot square dot site do not forget first ever nats chat podcast party friday night october 14th at 7 at walters right across the street from nationals park all nationals radio highlights on nats chat are courtesy of 1067 the fan for mark zuckerman i'm al galdi and we'll talk to you next time on the nats chat podcast
2: well you completely understand the mets preferences here but it really is a shame that we are not going to see most likely as lugo's still throwing How this would turn out for Scherzer as he's been perfect through six innings and he's only at 68 pitches on a normal night with a normal pitch count. You could see how deep he could take
0: this thing.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75 percent of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy and vitality.